Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club, and we've been reading The Color Purple by Alice Walker. It won the Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award in 1983 and has been turned into two Oscar-nominated films and a Tony Award-winning Broadway musical. It's also one of the most banned and challenged books in the United States. The novel tells the story of Celie, who grows up poor in rural Georgia in the early part of the 20th century. Through letters she writes to God and later to her younger sister Nettie, we follow Celie through her struggle with an abusive father, a racist and sexist culture, and an abusive marriage. We also follow her through the forging of strong, loving relationships, primarily with women, and personal growth and discovery. Here is Alice Walker reading an excerpt from the novel. She calls this The God Section. It's part of a letter from Celie to Nettie. Dear Nettie, I don't write to God no more. I write to you. What happened to God, I should. Who that, I said. She looked at me serious. Bigger devil as you is, I say, you're not worried about no God, surely. She said, wait a minute. Hold on just a minute here. Just cause I don't harass it like some people just know don't mean I ain't got religion. Well, what God do for me, I asked. She said, see me, like she's shocked. He gave you life, good health, and a good woman that loved you to death. <laughs> yeah, I said, he give me a lynch daddy, a crazy mama, a low down dog, or a step pa, and a sister I probably won't ever hear or see again. Anyhow, I say, the God I've been praying and writing to is a man and act just like all the other men's I know, trifling, forgetful, and low down. That is Alice Walker reading from The Color Purple in front of a live audience. That video is from PBS's 2014 biography, Alice Walker, Beauty in Truth. And this hour, we are talking about this profound and influential novel, and it's time to introduce our expert readers. Lakeisha Johnson is here. She is an associate professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies and English at Grinnell College. Hello, Lakeisha. Hello, Charity. Abana Sankofa Imhotep is also here. She is CEO of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group in Des Moines. Hello, Abana. Hi, Charity. And Rochelle Chase is also here. Rochelle Chase is a public speaker, columnist, and author. Hello, Rochelle. Hello, Charity. And I want to start off just by getting each of you to react to the novel as as a reader does. And Lakeisha, I know that this was the second time you've read The Color Purple. When did you read it for the first time? Oh, gosh, I think I was in my 20s. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I've i done some analysis of the film, the first film with uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, so I, I went back through the book for some sections. But, you know, this is the first time that I read it again from cover to cover. And now, you know, 30 years later, <laughs> yeah. responding to it is very different. So, I mean, first, what did you think of it in your 20s? Um, well, obviously, it's a very sad story. Um, but I also really connected with the focus on women's friendship, the ways in which women help keep keep each other strong and help 
um, help us deal with hard situations. Um, Obviously, that's still there, but I'm really compelled by some of the um, conversation that Walker has about spirituality and God. Like, that's more, I think, for me, that's the thing that grab me this time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we will talk a lot about that. But was there anything else that just hit differently looking at this mm-hmm. book 30 years later? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also was really interested in the way that black men and black women um, work through their differences in the text in a way that I hadn't really, you know, hadn't really spent that much time thinking about um, when I was you know, studying the movie and thinking about representations of black women. So for me, this time around, looking at the various characters like Harpo and Samuel and, you know, the the changes that Mr. goes through really um, piqued my interest. So I can't wait to hear what you might have to say about those moments in the text as well. Yeah. Avana, this was also a reread for you. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with the book? Sure thing. I I got a copy of this book when I was uh, early 20s, late teens, somewhere in there. And honestly, I I had no appreciation for this book. It was a really hard read for me at the time. And I can't even say that I finished it. As a matter of fact, I don't remember finishing it. But this time around, many, many moons later, um, it's it's a refreshing book and, and similar to pouring a clean glass of water. That's kind of the way I saw this book, um, that a lot of the the struggles and challenges and the conversations and Africana itself really opened up to me in a way that was that was new and different uh, in a in a book. So I, I have a new appreciation for Alice Walker all over again. Oh, interesting. And Rochelle, you came to this new. This was your first time reading the novel. Tell me a little bit about your impressions. It is. Yeah, I had seen the play, uh, the movie with Whoopi Goldberg, and then I had also had the luxury of actually by accident seeing the play and Oprah Winfrey was on Broadway was like five rows behind us. So both of the times (laughs) that I kind of went into this, I didn't really know that much about it. I was like, okay, let me just watch this. And I think when I was, you know, both the play and also the movie, because of I think probably maybe where I was in life, I think I just saw it very surface level for what it was. I don't think I really thought much beyond, you know, the horror of what Celie was experiencing and different things that were happening. But when I read this book, there was so much more complexity to like her journey, um, to the type of, you know, person that she was, the strength that she got from Sophia and Suge and um, um, who's the third one? Uh, Mary, Mary Agnes. I I saw a lot more of that and the whole religion thing totally went way over my head when I, you know, when I saw the movie. So there was just so much more complexity in the book that I definitely did not see in the before reading it. Yeah, you know, I I read the book before seeing either one of the movies and um I read it years before seeing either one of the movies and and I actually saved even the 1985 movie until after I reread it this time. <laughs> and I did think 
boy, it would be easy to watch this movie and miss a lot <laughs> of mm. what happens in the book. I mean, even uh, there's there's a romantic relationship between Seeley and Suge, and we'll talk more about that later. And a lot of people had criticized Steven Spielberg for sort of straight washing uh, the story. And that, that relationship is there in the 1985 movie. They do kiss each other on the lips. But I think that if you weren't, if you hadn't read the book, if you weren't really paying attention, I think that you could miss it <laughs> entirely. <laughs> so, so that really, really changes the story in a lot of ways. Um, Lakeisha, I want to talk about when this book came out, because, I mean, now we are living in this age with so much great black literature available mm-hmm. and and just incredible work being done now and has been done for the last 40 years or 50 years or 60 years. Let's go back to 1982 when this book was published. There was a lot happening right in that time period. I'm thinking about Toni Morrison, who had published Mm -hmm. a lot in the 1970s with The Bluest Eye and Sula Mm -hmm. and Song of Solomon and Roots Mm -hmm. by Alex Haley in 1976, Kindred by Octavia Butler in 1979. From your perspective, I mean, tell me a little bit about this moment in time. It was a big moment. Well, yes, it was a critical moment for African-American literature, um, specifically written by black women. And what we started to see was, you know, not only public recognition, you know, with the the prizes that they were winning, but also um, a fresh interest in including these works in the classroom, in the academy. And so um, I would say, you know, obviously the the color purple, um, the bluest eye, these are these became like canonical texts in many women's studies classrooms. Um, there was controversy around it around the book, but um, you know, you started to see people really taking Black women's literature seriously um, in a way that they may may not have in the past. Right, and, and there. There was controversy about the color purple and and still is controversy Mm -hmm. about the color purple for a number of reasons. But it it also, in spite of the fact that this was this moment where we were seeing all of this work published, Alice Walker was the first woman, the first black woman Mm -hmm. to win the Pulitzer Prize. So. And she also won the National Book Award, although she the same year, Gloria Naylor won the National Book Award for Women of Brewster Place. So, I mean, there was there was quite a bit of recognition in that moment for uh, black women writers and black women's stories. But what do you think it said that that this novel won the Pulitzer Prize? Um, I would say it said that that black women have something to say and they do it quite well, <laughs> I mean, and they can stand up against any other writer, regardless of race, sex, any of those things. I mean, it was it was a moment. Um, and, you know, we keep doing that in different yep. fields. But, yeah, I mean, it, this was the moment where, and, again, I think there's a lot of debate about, you know, why do we need that affirmation? But, again, if you're a writer, a Pulitzer, I mean, that's, pretty important. And it is nice to be recognized. Well, it's obviously it's important 
But it also makes a lot of people take a look at a work of literature who may yeah. not have looked at that literature before. I mean, that, I that's power. It is power. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking about The Color Purple by Alice Walker. It was published in 1982 and won the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award in 1983. It has also been turned into two Oscar-nominated films and a Tony Award-winning Broadway musical. My expert readers this hour are Lakeisha Johnson, an associate professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies and English at Grinnell College. Abena Sankofa Imhotep is CEO of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group. Rochelle Chase is a public speaker, a columnist, and an author. And we will talk more about The Color Purple in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including Above and Beyond Cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club, and we have been reading The Color Purple by Alice Walker. It's a book that was published in 1982, but it's gotten a lot of attention recently with the release of a new motion picture, the second major motion picture made out of this book, which received a couple of Oscar nominations as well. It is a novel that tells the story through letters of a woman named Celie who grows up poor in rural Georgia in the early part of the 20th century. She writes letters to God to express the struggles that she's going through. She also later writes letters to her younger sister, Nettie, and we follow her through her struggles with an abusive father, a racist and sexist culture, and an abusive marriage. We also see her discover herself and her own personal strength and develop strong, loving relationships primarily with other women. With me today to talk about this book, Abana Sankofa Imhotep, CEO of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group in Des Moines, Rochelle Chase, public speaker, columnist and author, and Lakeisha Johnson, an associate professor of gender, women's and sexuality studies and English at Grinnell College. And this book starts, I mean, the very beginning of the book uh, starts with sexual violence. Celie is raped by the man she believes is her father. She bears two children by that man, and he takes those babies away from her. She doesn't know their fate. And, and that's, we really are plunged into uh, this very dark place at the beginning of the novel. And uh, sexual violence is a repeated theme throughout the novel. Celia is not the only victim of sexual violence. And we see how it's used as a tool in this culture. Abana, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, these, these are difficult scenes to read. They, they certainly all sound and feel believable, knowing everything that we know about the culture that we still live in today. What were your reactions? I mean, for sure, there's a, a line that really comes to mind in when thinking about 
the sexual violence that Alice Walker so brilliantly illustrates in this book. And it's delivered by Sophia, who says, a girl child ain't safe in a family of men. And for the characters at this time um, and under the circumstances that they were living in, that was true for them. And the truth of that statement uh, really speaks volumes. Um, I I think um, it speaks also not not only to the sexual violence that these women endured, but it speaks to black female sexuality and the impact of that violence on um, their sexuality uh, and we know that that's a taboo subject in many black communities across our country. So uh, the way that um, the scenes play out in the story, in the book, and in in both movies um, really push the envelope for the times that they were um, created, push the envelope uh, and and challenge us to to have these conversations in our communities. Yeah. I mean, I one of the things that that I found, most shocking because there are so many women in this novel that experience sexual violence. There's a rape that occurs in the novel. Um, Mary Agnes or or Squeak is raped and it's almost an aside. She's raped by the sheriff when she goes to to try to help Sophia, who's been in prison for a long time. And, And it almost... We don't we hardly pay any attention to it and and what that kind of trauma may have done to her. Rochelle, what are your thoughts? Well, I think in that particular, you know, scene, the fact that it is not given that much attention is kind of telling. Right. Because the fact that she is raped by a a white man. um, This is something that, of course, is an experience that black women had dealt with, you know, while they were enslaved. It's a carryover from that. And it's almost like this, like, oh, but of course that happened. It's almost like this is so normalized that it felt like from the, you know, the writing perspective that it was understated to me for that reason, because this is something that happens repeatedly to black women. Um, So that's the takeaway that I had from that, you know, why it was handled as kind of in this understated way. Um, And, you know, something else you were saying that I think that that kind of goes through um, the the book is this concept of, you know, or this idea of fighting and fighting back. Um, this was, you know, she goes there to try to help Sophia, to fight for Sophia in a way to get out of the situation she's in and to help her get out. And this is a, a theme also that we see all throughout the book is this the desire to, the ramifications of the I can't, I can, um, it's, it's all throughout, throughout the book, which also makes it very compelling. Yeah. Lakeisha, what do you want to add to that? Oh, wow. This is, this is very disturbing. I think for me, the thing that stands out is that there, there, there's a large group of black women in, of a particular age, generationally, who were never allowed to speak the words that we see written in this book. And so for me, um, that's, that's the thing that really stands out. It's like, I think, I think of women in my own family who have told stories about uncles who've done inappropriate things. And basically they're told stay away from this person and that's it. There's no, there's no conversation. There's no consequences. It's just, you know, you make sure that you stay away from them. So all of the onus is on 
um, the woman and I mean, not even the woman, the girl, the girl. Um, and if you notice in the first, the first uh, letter, she says, let me see, there's a part where she says, and she crosses out the word, I am a good girl, where she's even struggling with the idea that somehow she had something to do with what happened to her. Yeah, it's um, it's the very first page. She says, I am 14 years old. I am, and that's crossed out. I have always been a good girl, right? So, again, you see, you know, this narrative about, you know, if you're a good girl, these things don't happen to you, right? Yeah. When we know, in fact, that that's not the case. <laughs> well, and, and you talk about these things being unspoken. I mean, they're unspoken in this novel as well. She has mm-hmm. no one to tell anything to. That's why she's writing these letters to God. There, She doesn't have a confidant after Nettie is driven away until Suge comes into her life. And, and even that relationship takes a while to develop. There are other people around. She could have had that relationship with Sophia, but she was afraid. She She couldn't she she didn't connect with Sophia until much later. I agree. I mean, although I think it would have been strange for her to share with Sophia because in many ways, the way that she's constructed in the novel, at least, Celie is, even though, again, age-wise, they're probably close yeah. in age, Celie is her mother-in-law. Right. And once she draws the line and and tells Harpo to, you know, beat Sophia, then, you know, there's there's a line there. Right. I mean, at some point they do make up. But, I, you know, I think it it doesn't surprise me that the first time she tells someone in the novel, it's, you know, um, should. Yeah. Well, and uh, so just in case people are confused at all. So uh, uh, Sophia is the daughter-in-law of Mr., this man that Celie is really forced to marry. And this is not not a happy union. He is abusive, physically and sexually abusive. And she works nonstop, dusk, dawn till dusk. And Harpo is the son of Mr. And he falls in love with Sophie. And I want to talk a little bit about Harpo's journey in a moment. But first, one of the main criticisms of this book in the 1980s and and even recently is that it portrays all black men as abusive and bad. Um, And I am going to argue with that and say that there are definitely men in this book who are good. And then there's also this sort of path of redemption, even for some of the the bad actors. But um, Rochelle, what, what's your response to that criticism that, that it paints black men in this terrible picture? Well, I mean, I think if you want to look at how it paints things, I mean, it paints, there's a lot of things that it deals with that people could find, you know, fault with. I mean, I, I guess black men is just one aspect of it um, in that, you know, you've got the whole incest, you've got, you know, pregnancy, teen pregnancy, you've got all of these other issues. Um, so I don't I don't know what to really say it personally about that, to be honest. Um, 
I understand the concern. I understand it. But for me, not being a black male, that's not what struck me in this book. You know, that is not the thing that I would say, oh, my gosh, how, how could they? Um, so I don't, I don't know what to say about that, to be honest. Yeah. Abena? Yeah, there's there's a ton of criticism around um, how black men are portrayed in this story. And I think the key is it is a story. Um, It's complex. There are nuances that don't convey very well on the big screen. For instance, in terms of Mr., if people's only reference is is one of the movies, having seen one of the movies of The Color Purple, they would think that Mr. is Mr.'s name. Well, the book... Uh, Alice Walker displays that Mr. actually does have a last name, but for some reason, Celie will not or does not speak it. Uh, In the book, Alice Walker calls him Mr. with a blank line after every single time he's referenced. So there is something more to be learned about these characters. I think that the criticism is what it is, but I think our characters are telling us that there is more to be learned. If there's ever a color purple too, I'd be on the front row in the in the the first in line to get my copy of that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucky shot. Yeah, can I say something about the Mister? Yeah. I mean, the fact that there's a blank land and we don't, a blank line, and we don't get the last names of the other men. So you know, Samuel is Reverend Mister, and eventually we get to know his first name. Same with Harpo; we only know him by his first name. And I think what Alice Walker is doing here is genius because she's really asking us to understand that that line you could put any male, any black male who is faced with, you know, um, the society that we live in then and now, right, who is in a world where patriarchy means, you know, you take care of your wife, Um, you take care of your wife and make sure that she behaves, right? Um, You know, there's this whole situation where, you know, Sophia says Harpo likes to cook and clean and take care of the baby and all that. But he's only had one um, one style of, or one role model, should I say, um, for what a man should be, right? And so for me, the fact that none of the men, you never really know their last name, suggests that she's trying to help us see the extent to which they disappear in the face of patriarchy, and they have that to is get so their true. Name. Can I jump in quick? Yeah. Oh, Lakeisha, I love what you're saying because Mister stands out to me as a person who is deeply unloved, and mm-hmm. everyone else in the story has a first name, but he doesn't. He doesn't have a first name until Suge speaks it, because she's mm-hmm. the only person that loves him. So I think the absence of a last name is is um, telling in a lot of ways. It could be culturally and ancestrally and how a lot of enslaved Africans got to the United States and names were stripped away. It could be that. But the absence Mm -hmm. of him having a first name unless he's loved, I think that speaks volumes to why people potentially could behave the way they behave because they haven't experienced love. Well, can I say I Mm. took it literally. I took it like, okay, before I read the book, I thought Mr. meant M-I-S-T-E-R. I thought she was just calling him that. So when I saw this in the book, 
the fact that she calls him he has no name to me represented kind of Seely's relationship with men that you could exchange one with the other and this is her experience with them because it's later on in the book when they start to reconcile and she starts to in a way you know forgive him you know that she's teaching him to sew which I thought was such a touching you know scene um, she does reference him as Albert. She doesn't call him that, but you hear her mm. in the in her point of view. She says his name, and so to me, now that she is starting to put a face to him, he's starting to get like this real kind of sense of humanity. Now he has a name, so that's the way I interpreted that. Mm. That's good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Harpo. So Harpo, child of Mr. And, you know, he falls in love with Sophia. He is a very likable character in many ways. There's also some, I, I guess it's a kind of almost comic relief in he tries to dominate Sophia by beating her, which is the advice of his father and also the advice of Celie, who knows that, that that is how she is controlled. And that's why she minds, because she's been so uh, brutalized. But Sophia doesn't stand for that. And um, I mean, Lakeisha, how do you what how do you think about Harpo? He, he goes on this rese- redemptive journey. Although he wasn't quite as bad as the others to begin with. Well, I mean, we know his story, right? I mean, he's mourning the loss of a mother who was murdered, right? By, I guess, a jealous boyfriend who, I mean, I guess she was trying to get away from him and then... Right, and he held her in his arms when she died. When she died, yeah. So for me, I think Walker uses... um, the character of Harpo to show like what does it mean to be a black child and in this case a black male child in a world where you watched your mother die in a violent way at the hands of another black man and you also witness as you're growing up your father brutalize you know this person who probably is close closer to your age when Celie comes into the house and then she, she's 14 or 15 or whatever. So in some ways they're peers, but she's, when they have their conversations with each other, you really see that Harpo is really struggling with what does it mean to become a man, right? And Sophia helps him. <laughs> she helps, she helps set some boundaries that are very different than, you know, what he gleaned from watching his father, or even his grandfather, because we get a scene with his grandfather. And, you know, it's interesting to look at those three men um, and the legacy of toxic masculinity, because, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. to see that develop. Well, and the the trauma, the trauma that they've also mm-hmm. experienced, mm-hmm. because this, if you, if you go three generations, yes. we're reaching back into slavery. And... We know that these men, too, are brutalized and oppressed in this culture as well. We're going to have to take another short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking about The Color Purple by Alice Walker. With me today, Lakeisha Johnson of Grinnell College, Abana Sankofa Imhotep of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group, and Rochelle Chase, who's a public speaker, columnist, and author. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, 
including Above and Beyond Cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club, and we've been reading The Color Purple by Alice Walker. It won the Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award in 1983. It has been turned into two Oscar-nominated films and a Tony Award-winning Broadway musical, and it is also one of the most banned and challenged books in the United States. The novel follows Celie, a young girl. She's about 14 years old. In the beginning of the novel, she grows up poor in rural Georgia. Georgia in the early part of the 20th century. We see her struggle through the relationship with an abusive father, a culture that is racist and sexist, and an abusive marriage. We also see her make connections, forge loving relationships, primarily with women, and go on this journey of personal growth and discovery. And I want to talk about uh, Celie's sexual awakening, which um, she finds with Suge. Suge is Celie's husband's girlfriend, and they have been in love with each other for a long time. He was not allowed to marry her. She comes and goes in and out of their lives. But when she comes to stay with them because she's sick, uh, she and Celie become friends. And so I, I want to talk about Suge. Before they have this romantic relationship, Suge is basically giving Celie a lesson in sex ed. She's telling her about her own anatomy. She's trying to empower her to seek pleasure in sexual encounters, something Celie has never experienced. And when I'm reading that, I'm thinking Alice Walker is trying to empower every woman who is reading this book to understand her own body. Uh, Rochelle, did you, what are your thoughts? Did you, did you have the same thought reading that? Um, I did. I had this, that thought, um, uh, like you said, and I also thought that this sexual awakening was just like, and I look at my romance writing background, just like it's more it's more than sex it's yes she's coming you know uh, uh, getting this awareness to pleasure and you know the things that she should be able to demand sexually but it's this awakening that's happening within her emotionally it's this awakening that she's starting to actually feel you know love and loved for the first time you know in this lesson with um with suge um and so there's to me there was just so much again complexity around um, the sexual aspect that, yes, Alice Walker is doing that, in my opinion, to the reader, but she's also showing us this, how much this is changing um, Celie in ways that are not just sexual. Lakeisha, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot here. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that this whole conversation begins with um, Suge asking whether or not she cares um, that she sleeps with with Albert, right? And so, you know, they're basically having a conversation about what sex what sex is like with with Albert. And then she realizes that, you know, her experience. This is Shug. That her experience with Albert is very different from you know what Celie has has had to deal with. And you know, when she tells Celie that she's still a virgin because she's never had, you know, an orgasm or pleasure. She doesn't say orgasm, but the bottom line is, oh, you know, you, you, you're still a virgin because you have not experienced um, 
how great sexuality can be, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the first step of that is learning how to please yourself and knowing what makes you feel good, right? Um, and, and not necessarily needing an Albert or a Mr. But um, I, I do think it's interesting that the um, scene is framed by that conversation about um, sex with, with Mr., and, uh, of course, she does develop a romantic relationship with Suge. They love each other very much. Um, and that is a part of the novel that causes a lot of controversy even today. Abena, what are your thoughts about that? I have a lot of thoughts about this, Charity. I I enjoyed reading um these parts of the book in a way that I, again, as I said earlier, that I could not ever have begun to appreciate the first time I read it. Um, I think um, Celia and Suge allowed themselves to um, become fluent in each other's sexual narrative. And that is rooted in a type of friendship that um, they developed over time. And, um, they each had moments where they shared deeply personal things with each other that led to them feeling comfortable enough to explore their sexuality. Um, for instance, there is a section, um, a, well, I won't say a section, a letter um, that Suge was, that Celie wrote the letter, but Suge was explaining to her um, how she was feeling about her own sexuality and then there's parts of, of the book in letters where Celie is explaining how Suge feels, or, or Celie was explaining to Suge how she feels about her sexuality and that they, um, they could comfort each other in those moments and that they began to understand, specifically Celie began to understand herself as not just a tool, not just um, the help. But and, and not just objectified, but as a human and even more so as a woman and being being OK with womanness, that she deserves that and that that's a part of who she is. I thought it was beautiful. We need to talk about spirituality before we run out of time, which I mean, is in so many ways, it is the overarching theme of this book. And at least in the version of the book that I have, there's a beautiful prologue written by Alice Walker, where she basically explains what the book is about when it comes to spirituality. Clearly, it, my my take on it is that she had been frustrated over the years with people misunderstanding um, her thoughts about spirituality. But Abana, I'll, I'll let you... Um, respond to this first, because we do see Celie writing to God, trying to find comfort in this relationship with God, and she doesn't feel like God cares about her, but she does She does go on this journey that takes her back to spirituality. What are, what are your thoughts about that? It's really key what you just said, Charity, that it takes her back. I see this, this entire story as a return for Celie, a return from religion to spirituality. Um, Alice Walker in that preface says that, you know, spiritually Celie was captive and she was captive as an, as a writer, as a person herself, Alice Walker was being held captive. And this helped her to unpack a lot of things personally. Um, the letter writing is critical um, that this novel is framed as a series of letters to me was it just blew my mind um, that letter writing became 
a way of knowing for Celie, kind of a system of thought that she develops over time with the tutelage of her sister Nettie, even though they were they there was distance between them for the majority of the book. She was still under Nettie's tutelage in a way, and that helped her to explain her own existence, um, who she is to the people that matter to her, who she is to the people that don't care anything about her. And it helped her to, the letter writing helped her to address the fundamental issues of living her life. I thought it was um, really powerful. And as Celie grows in her understanding of herself and of her own spiritual spirituality, um, the letters themselves transform. The letters change. I mean, she's writing to God, and then she's writing to Nettie, and then she's writing and she's writing. And even the 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 way she closes her letters um, transforms as well. So I think it's very telling, not just the the fact that she's writing these letters, but how she's expressing herself, how she refers to herself, and how she ultimately sees herself. And and I think it's so fascinating too that you know obviously the, the the early letters to God she's not she's not expecting anyone to read these letters even later when she's writing to Nettie although she clearly sends some of the letters they never reach Nettie so she's never she's never actually exchanged letters with anyone in this entire book but we see her go on this personal journey Rochelle wh- what do you want to add to that. Yeah, I I wanted to say that I think when we see her writing to Dear God, it's like you're doing this by rote. This is what you're taught to do. You know, there's not necessarily this real belief that there is a God that's going to listen to you. And to me, this tied into, you know, when we fast forward to the letters she's getting from Nettie being a missionary in Africa, it's that, again, it, you're seeing that Christianity is being, you know, brought to the people of Africa because they need it. And I, I say that in quotes, they need it. Um, and so there's a parallel here in that Christianity was given to black people here because, you know, of course, you know, we're savages, just like they're savages in Africa. But it's this thing that you're forced to learn where you don't necessarily have this belief in it. And I feel like that, you know, parallel between the way Celie is feeling at the beginning about, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm praying to this, I'm writing these letters to this being that I don't even know if I believe in, I don't even know if he exists, I don't even know if he's going to, you know, get anything, he get, get this, or I'm going to get any response, and I don't expect one. I think that tied really interestingly to the missionary experience that Nettie was writing about in Africa. So there's that connection, but then I also see this as this huge part of her journey in that, you know, when she stops writing to God, because she's realized, it seems to me that, you know, he's not getting these letters. I'm going to write this to Nettie because she's gone. So Celia has gone through this, this shift in her relationship, in her strength. She's, you know, I think she stood up for herself by this time. And then we see her at the end, as she comes into herself, we see that relationship again with God changing and that now it's not necessarily this being, it is that spirituality because she has become much more spiritual as it relates to herself. So that's just, I mean, I could talk more about that because there's like so much to unpack there, but at a high level, that's Mm kind of what this brings to mind for me. Lakeisha? Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that Suge is the person who introduces Celie to both her sexuality and to a different way to perceive God. I mean, one of the first things she says 
to Sealy when Sealy starts, which well, Sealy calls it blaspheming, right? But mm-hmm. Suge is the first person to say, "Wait a minute, don't don't say those things." And then she says, um, "You know, when um, have you ever found God um, in church at church, right?" Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they have this whole conversation. It's, I mean, it's about as long, it may be a little bit longer than the conversation they have about her sexuality, mm-hmm. right? So, I think that a character. And actually, I, I started um, giggling when when the word polyamory emerged in my brain because obviously I, we weren't really using that term much when when I first read this book, yeah. right? But I'm like, she's she, you know, she's bisexual. She she is sleeping with both Albert and and Celie. They both love her dearly, so she's 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 resisting that binary. She's also resisting a binary. Um, formulation or binary uh, perspective as it relates to God. I mean, she basically says God is everywhere, right? Um, He's inside them, you know. So, I mean, she talks about God being the person who came up with sex, right? Because at one point when they're exploring each other or something, I don't know if you, I can't remember the exact language, but she basically says, you know, God wants us to enjoy this. You know, God made this. Um, God is everything. I mean, if you look at it, most of the preaching, in in quotes, yeah. is Shug. I mean, there's you know, and in the film, in the the '80s film, I haven't seen the new one. You know, it's all they they construct um, Shug in a way where she actually is going back to the patriarchal father, right? right. And He's not in this this book. Nope. <laughs> that, that narrative is not in this book. You know, if anything, you know, Suge is the person up there at the pulpit, and Celie is learning about God right. from her. Suge is our spiritual guide through this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. I mean, I, did I miss something? No. I mean, cause I, I mean, there is religion in the Af- in the missionary yeah story, but the actual preaching is Suge. Now, we are nearly out of time. And, uh, you know, there, there's so much tough stuff to read about in this novel. It can be a very hard read at times. There is also some tremendous joy. And one of my favorite things about the book is that Celie starts <laughs> making pants for yeah. herself and for <laughs> other people. And I just I see pants as this symbol of freedom. And it has made me just so grateful for the pants that I'm wearing right now. I don't know. Lakeisha, what are your thoughts on pants? Well, one of the things that um, Harpo notices about Shug, he can't figure her out. And one of the things that he says is that, you know, she doesn't act like the other women. She says what she thinks. She acts like a man, right? And there are several little hints that the freedom that um, Suge has and the women that they have, well, we can talk differently about Sophia, but it's tied to freedom to be and do what they want to do, even in in the face of male domination, right? And so the reason why she starts writing the pants, making the pants, is that she she wants to kill Mr. because she's so upset over what what he's done keeping her from his her sister right and it's suge that says hey come let's go over here and make some pants but she she basically even says you know 
Albert's worn some of my dresses, and he loves to see me in pants, right? So, again, we have this this play with gender. Um, and, again, it's a small piece, but I think there's something there. And so then that symbol of the pants, um, you know, really, I don't know, it, it, it just reclaims something that is only for men in a patriarchal society and makes it okay for women to 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 do that. Well, thing. and they're also dream pants. They're the most comfortable and they have pockets. They're just <laughs> the best pants ever. We have pockets. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are entirely out of time. <laughs> we could no. talk about pants for a lot longer and so many other things. But thank you all so much for being here today. It was a pleasure, Charity. Thanks for having me. That was great. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Lakeisha Johnson is an associate professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies and English at Grinnell College. Abana Sankofa Imhotep is CEO of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group in Des Moines. And Rochelle Chase is a public speaker, columnist, and author. We've been talking about The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Thank you to Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City for providing books for our readers. This episode was produced by Caitlin Troutman, Danny Gear, and Catherine Perkins. We had technical assistance from John Pemble. You can join our community on Facebook. Just search for IPR's Talk of Iowa Book Club. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.